You're listening to episode 77 of G.I. Joburg. This is our feedback episode. My name is Steven, and I'm joined by... Whoa, 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 feedback in here. <laughs> and... Special Missions, Cujo. I took the day off for this stuff. <laughs> How is that in any way uh, auspicious, Cujo? <laughs> Isn't every day a holiday in, in, in La La Land, in, in Trumpdom? Well, at the moment, Southern California is its own thing, brother. Trumple thick skin. Yeah. So what's it like having Biff Tannen as your president? <laughs> um, it's kind of sketchy so far, but I don't think you want the details. Let's talk Joe, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Way more fun than politics. We are quite enamored with our fans. We have some wonderful and very regular contributors. And in this episode, I thought I'd bring one, two, or maybe three particularly touching from the heart messages that we've received in, in recent weeks. Just like Postbox the Pit, we're going to uh, discuss what our fans think of the podcast, think of G.I. Joe in general, and maybe even get a little bit imaginative. But first, we want to make a return to our usual segment, Definitive Sculpt. But this time, with a twist. Kujo, you want to tell us more? Sure. Um, since I like to drag us into the deep end, everybody's chatting up Tombstone right now, as far as latest releases. Uh, he happens to be a character with one eye put out, uh, which is unique in the Joe line, I think. Uh, it just makes me wonder uh, what what characters with one eye have caught your 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 attention, gentlemen. Crack it open for us, Cooge. Do you want to take a take a first swipe, or you want should to take points? Yeah. <laughs> should, should one of us throw out a random just to get the debate going? Well, why don't, why don't you step into the fray, Stephen? Well, I I always like to think outside the box, and maybe. Maybe it's because I just have an affinity for this figure and I really want to discuss it on the show and perhaps more extensively. But it's actually a cheat because this this figure, this character, has no eyes. He's got optic circuitry. The character is none other than Overkill from the Talking Battle Commanders. That's the tag. <laughs> destroy, destroy, destroy. Wipe out. <laughs> Wipe out. Okay, you get the point. Um, okay, if you can divorce the atrociously oversized red backpack, which in the case of Overkill was slightly less offensive than it was with Hawk or Cobra Commander or Stalker because those were human characters and those backpacks would have just weighed them down. Perhaps a robot would have had a better chance of standing upright with this massive backpack on his back and hey, at least it could conceivably contain rocket rounds or gasoline for his flamethrower anyway the yeah, bottom line is sure perforce <laughs> sorry totally totally <laughs> and uh just to keep it pc you've got the general sherping and the token african-american character i'm uh, not gonna trade equal, too light equal opportunity sherping <laughs> <laughs> anyway overkill always caught my eye because he well in keeping with the topic he had two different sculpts for his optical sensors uh, the one was a bog-standard red eye with the cool sculpted, um, I mean, it, it's a robot, it doesn't need it, but he has an etched-in eyebrow, which had this nice swoop to it. And the other side was a X, like a targeting crosshairs, like Deadshot, perhaps? Mm. The classic Deadshot uh, uniform, the red one with the one eye being a sort of a, a targeting reticle. Or reticle. Reticle. <laughs> targeting reticle. Yeah, not a, not a targeting reticle. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's something else. Thank you for correcting me, Paul. I've often seen that word, but never said it. Uh, anyway, uh, he has a targeting reticle, which is super cool. And just once again enforces that this is a robot. He is armed to the teeth with hidden and not so hidden weaponry. By that, I mean his chest cavity being clear uh, and you being able to see the little machine gun inside, that always rocked my world. It took me a while as a child to figure out that that actually opened up and was a machine gun inside. I just thought, just like the Battle Android Troopers, this is like a bit of technical detail that is transparent so you can see it on the inside, uh, just like the lenticular stickers. But no, it was a functional, practical armament, and who cares if it's bright red? Who cares if his 
color scheme is a mashup of golds and neon greens. Mm-hmm. It was the 90s, but I didn't care. I mean, this was a freaky, like, bizarre robot leader, sort of high-intelligence battle android trooper that, uh, uh, you know, cost projections were too high for it to be mass-produced. So he became the de facto leader of all the bats with this kind of, like, I don't know, Hell 9000... Uh, this is, uh, always kind of sentience to him, which was wonderful and freaky and murderous all at the same time. And he had a removable hand. And I mean, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm gaga for removable hands, of course. I remember when, when Dave got his overkill and, you know, I saw all of these features like, you know, little guns and stuff popping out of him and, and all that shit. I, I just thought, oh, fuck, I got a bum deal with uh, Stalker and, and Hawk at the time, just because, you know, his chest open and stuff. But I oddly... I've actually never owned Overkill, ever. I've never, like... As much as I thought that that toy was cool when I was younger, I, was, I just never went out and bought my own, despite it having all of these little guns and things hidden. Um, Older fans bemoan the fact that file cards started coming with those, like, numbered diagrams of the full-length figure artwork, where it would sort of point to a thing and say, uh, fragmentation grenade or 9 millimeter p- a pistol, like, you know, pointing to sculpt elements on the figure yes. and, and, and giving it a... S- small little description the reason older fans bemoan that is because they say like well you know are you leaving us with absolutely no room for imagination i mean any child can see yes that's a sculpted nine millimeter pistol yes that's a hand grenade you know big whoop stop wasting space on the file card Mm. but i would argue that in the case of overkill you get information that you otherwise would not have had Mm. like the location of his hidden flamethrower in his upper thigh Kick ass, man. I'm sold. I want that figure. So it wasn't a pistol, is what you're saying. Uh, also, coming back to your leader robot thing, he's kind of like Nimrod for the Sentinels. If uh, if you guys don't know who Nimrod is, he's uh, a highly advanced uh, version of the Sentinels and ends up sort of being the leader of the Sentinels and then has his own sort of agenda that kicks in. So, not so much Ultron, but... Nimrod. I know, it's such a cool name. Like, oh, God, here comes Nimrod. Run! Well, before we dust you off, um, it's worth mentioning that uh, his left eye is more protruded than the right, correct? Yes. Yes, yeah. Once again, like Deadshot. Stevens uh, mentioned the sort of leader of the bats. Um, In the modern era, G.I. Joe continuity in the comic comic book and in the figurines, they released a uh, sort of what they call the... um, I think they called them the urban urban assault troopers or something in the line, uh, but it has an alternate head. It's a cyber ninja, and the alternate head is actually the bat. I think it's the Bat Mark Four, or something that's in the new comic books, and that's actually monocled. It's got one eye. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, although I'm not going to say it's my favorite sculpt, it it is cool to see that the one-eyed monster. Pause for effect. Um, <laughs> rides again. Rides again. Paul, you put me to shame, bro. There's Joe stuff out there that I have no awareness of at all. But anyway, the, yeah, the cool Google thing is, yeah. will help us all. Google. Did, did you have a runner-up? Because I was a very technical pick, and he's the right kind of hitties. <laughs> I do agree. Why? Are you keeping score, man? Uh, you know, just probing. I, I can't say I had a runner-up. Um simply because there is nothing that that quite piques my interest like Overkill did. And maybe I kind of wanted to work him in because maybe he's going to resurface later on in this episode. <laughs> Just putting that out there. <laughs> so, Cooch, would you like me to like throw in my runner-up first, or should I go straight for the jugular? Of course he's got a runner-up. Of course, it's me. Make it dramatic. Okay, I'll make it dramatic. Before I get to my number one pick of favorite one-eyed Joe. <laughs> oh, this is going to get bad. So. One-eyed Joes. Well, uh, Major Blood has always been you know, one of the de facto sort of eyepatch wielding uh, Joes on the line. And, you know, in that regard, he's always stood out a little. But he hasn't always had the best sculpts, except for the um, the sound attack uh, I love mm, that. Supersonic Force. Supersonic Spiders. Yeah. There we go. That's what it was. Oh, yes. There we go. Um, I always felt uh, that he had a fantastic um, sculpt for a, a one-eyed Joe. I mean, one of the few characters with, that I can actually confirm has only got one eye because it is quite a unique feature in the Joe-verse. 
to have one eye. It's also very James Bond <laughs> to only have one eye. Um, the other um, favorite one-eyed Joe uh, that I've I've always enjoyed in my life, uh, and I've played with it often, and even shared it with you know female friends, is of course the one that you know came with me. That's always been my favorite one-eyed Joe. But honestly, <laughs> getting right to it, like jokes aside and shit, cesspool. Mm. Without a doubt, I think cesspool has got one of the coolest face sculpts in the G.I. Joe line. And he just happens to also have one eye because that second eye is white out. It's uh, It's been scarred. It's been hit with acid or something. It's just so nasty. He's got a serious kind of Blofeld uh, meets uh, corporate stooge kind of melding with the face melting on the side or with the face being badly scarred. It's a combination of really great features and I think it makes him look extremely sinister. I got to say that's that's my one-eyed Joe pick that uh, and I and I'm pretty I'm pretty sold on that. In fact, as I say this, I want to get a cesspool in my life again because that was a great toy. I really enjoyed that figure. And incidentally, does he not have like a robot arm? Yes, he does. Is it robot arm? So not only did his face, that side of his face get scarred, but he lost his arm in the mix. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. That's something they didn't show on the Deke series of G.I. Joe. No. It's also something they strayed away from with the re-release um, in the modern era set. Although they gave him a, a, what I would say is a fairly cool head sculpt, the loss of that robotic arm for me, is a big loss. I, I really felt that. It, it was actually a deciding factor in whether I should buy this figure online or not. Because uh, I found one loose for... Well, I mean, it's a, it's a collector's club figure. So you're expecting to pay about at least $40. I was willing to do the damage, but when my senses caught up with me and I realized he didn't have this robot arm, which is one of his coolest features, I was rather put off. And they could have taken it from someone else. They could have easily made Wraith's arm or somebody. They could have just done something. They, they they could have gone the extra mile on that. I think it would have really sold the figure. But then again, he's probably not one of the most popular figures in the Joe line. I'm sure that like much of the Eco Force, he's much maligned. Um, so, yeah, sad on that one. But uh, that's why we have Vintage, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to bemoan the loss of the color change feature because, honestly, who gives a fuck? I didn't even know about Cesspool. I, I forgot about him. He's got yeah. like a cable vibe in that respect, I think. The yeah, white hair and the, 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 the odd eyes. Uh, I do have one question about Cesspool, maybe for both of you. Uh, if an actor was stepping into that role, who do you say is, who do you see in that hideous face? For me, um, the card art sells a, a and, and it's, it's kind of eerie, actually. But the card art sells a serious John Lithgow vibe. The main guy from Third Rock from the Sun, I can't think, uh, and he was also a bad guy in Dexter. Spoiler alert. Damn, son. Uh, all I gotta say to that is you need to watch Avatar again because homeboy is the man. The dude with the box cut and the gray hair. Stephen Lang. Ah. And what oh. a tasty choice of name. Stephen with a PH, no less, which is how I spell my name. Classy. But yeah, Stephen Lang would be my pick as cesspool. But yes, he was the principal antagonist, I'd say, in Avatar. I mean, if Giovanni Rabisi was the corporate suit... He was the muscle. My God, you're deep in the Avatar game. Yep, but he's my pick for cesspool by a wide margin. Hell, he's my pick for Cable as well, to be honest. I was actually gonna say he would yep. make a perfect fit for, or well, a very good fit for Cable. I'd say he pips Dolph Lundgren, uh, in my opinion. Very much so. Dolph Lundgren's cool, but he's not Cable cool. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd like to know before we move on, Cooge? No, I'm good to go. Sweet. Roll the dice, brother. Just looking at wide characters, you always got to ask the question, you know, how deep is G.I. Joe in the game? Um, and, and whatever game you might be playing, how deep are they? Uh, so, like, Major Blood, uh, the eye patch is over the left eye. The, the left eye, as we know, signifies enlightenment. You see people frame it all the time in entertainment. If you remember the Force Awoke uh, promotions, uh, they have like lightsabers in front of their right eye, I believe. So, uh, it's, it's just symbolism. So like, let's, if I'm looking at GI Joe that way, there's a couple people chatting online about Tombstone. Uh, the fans are pretty divided on the character. Uh, I've heard people say that like, he's just a clumsy, uh, design 
And so I, I kind of did some looking. I got my G.I. Joe Collectors Club magazine in the mail, which is always a treat. But they had an article where they interviewed, I forget the guy's first name, Mark. It might be Mark Weber with one B. He's running the G.I. Joe line right now. And I, I don't like to take shots at people unless I get a look at him. So I, I did watch an interview of him on YouTube. Seems like a decent dude. And he, he kind of was describing Tombstone, which has his right eye scarred. Again, the left eye of enlightenment. That didn't really hit me until I was looking at his file card and it said that he's actually kind of a uh, psychological uh, soldier. They, they were throwing him in the same class as like a psych out. Like he knew how to play people mentally or something. So when I, when I saw that and then saw like the, the left eye, I was like, okay, there might be more to this, this character than I'm, I'm seeing. So read that article and everybody's curious about how Tombstone got his name, you know? I always thought it would be something like he stopped the Joe's cold on like, you know, one of the Cobra Island beachfronts in a battle. And, and, you know, maybe he got the nickname or something. I don't know, man. If he's into psych warfare, he's probably just got a whole bunch of degrees and doctorates, man. He's he's sounding more bookish than than like combat ready. Now, no. unfortunately, that's that's kind of undermining it. So this is all new information for me. And, and my first blushings is like, He's he's a pencil pusher. I'm on the opposite side of that in that uh, what you're saying makes him more endearing to me. I actually feel that his whole design has actually portrayed a very cool sounding character, at least to my ears. I like the idea of, of psychological warfare, and I like the idea of there being operatives that focus on that, like Psych Out. I'm actually feeling that now that this is a character that has had a complete disservice with his um, design. And and to have a design that... I, I do apologize. I'm not trying to like hit you in the balls here. It's just... It's not the most creative design for a villain. It, it's almost... It's actually too safe. It's it's too... It feels like it was designed too much for the public and not designed to suit the character. Uh, and, and it loses out by just being... What essentially is a unmasked viper to me, really. I mean, I've said it all in a previous episode. Yeah, so and I, I feel like out. I'm going to repeat what I've said before as well. And that's that sculpt needed a, a noteworthy reuse because Firefly, it doesn't feel right for Firefly. So Tombstone being a unique named character with a face, finally that sculpt will find you know find its way to the front of the the display because as firefly it was not firefly enough to me it was techno freaky interesting design set piece but not gonna ever see light of day in 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 any of my displays unfortunately yeah i pulled them out the other day and i was like oh shit i got this (laughs) (laughs) like that's how memorable that figure is which is a pity because as i say wonderful wonderful showcase design like Beautiful yeah. sculpting, techno, futuristic, and Cobra-esque. I mean, it's it's definitely not one of the good guys in that armor. Let me throw you the final plot twist on the Tombstone Tale. So, I'm guessing Mark Weber, he used to head up the Transformer side of Hasbro. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm playing it loose on this one, but I believe that's the case. And so, when uh, G.I. Joe Collectors Club magazine asked him... Uh, you know, where's the name Tombstone come from? He said that he had an idea for a Decepticon who was a hearse, which makes sense. Uh, I don't know if they would ever make a hearse for kids, but that kind of wipes out any insight to that character. The thing is that he he cleared that name with legal. That's what it says in the article. And he knew it was free. So when he created a G.I. Joe character, he just threw the name Tombstone on it. And honestly, like, that's a buzz killer. Uh, and, I, and I'm not going to go all the way up the ladder like I always do. I'm just saying that there are brands that are thriving with fans that are very involved. Uh, Star Wars, uh, and all, all, all the brands pretty much now, the fans are involved. Hasbro, you got to get some people on this. I don't know Weber. He looks like a cool cat. But you need intrigue. You can't just be throwing names around because G- G.I. Joe's code name is their identity. It, you know, it brings insight to the character. Like, why don't you just call a guy like Eight Ball, and he's like Cobra Commander's favorite Viper, because he's always making Cobra Commander laugh. Nobody can make Cobra Commander laugh except Eight Ball. And Cobra Commander. Yeah, <laughs> and Cobra Commander. So that's all I got on the Tombstone front. He's definitely not my one-eyed pick. I, I have to go with Blood, just because old school. <laughs> Which version, bro? Just the old school. 
a little insider. The very first Joe convention I attended, I, I cosplayed as Major Blood. It was very poor, and nobody recognized me. But um, yeah. Did you grow your mo, brother? Did you grow your mo? Um, a little, a little. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. excellent. Uh, I look like a pariah, to be honest, but uh, that's all I got on the one-eyed front. This comes via uh, Larry Homer on Facebook. He has an opinion about most things, and I don't always agree with his opinion, but he's always got a well-formed opinion. And often when he sees uh, people posting comic art or when people post comic art on his wall, which irritates him, by the way, don't do that. He he sort of had a thing about Stan Lee. Well, he had a, a few photos of himself back in the old days when he was in Marvel, in the Marvel bullpen, when they still had one, technically. And uh, he said, like, Stan Lee's, like, number one rule was, like, once you had the name, and, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but pretty much once you have the name, you know, you've got the character. Well, what he was just basically saying is that they came up with the names for these characters first, and I'm not talking necessarily about G.I. Joe, I'm talking about, you know, Silver Surfer and all that. I mean, this was when Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby were still, uh, and Wally Wood and all of them were still the, the, the boys. You know, they came up with a name for these characters, and then they created these characters from those names, you know. So it was like, once you have the name, you have the character. Uh, obviously, like, you take Spider-Man, I mean, you know, now, you know, you can extrapolate from that. So, from what this uh, Mark Weber or Mark Weber has said, yeah, that is a bit ass about face. You know, you can't just like slap a name on a character, you know, who has already got this backstory and then the two the two things don't coincide, the biography and the name don't coincide. That's that's retarded. And the best way I can I I can actually sum up how I feel about this is when uh the modern era figures started renaming characters like uh Shockwave to Shock Blast. That was one of my major irks and then there was another character they also renamed um, I can't even remember the rename because I just keep calling him his original name. But it always felt like the Joe's names were, you know, they, they came from that same kind of Stan Lee Marvel thinking of come up with the name and then build the character from that. I do want to mention this for Jim Godfrey, the most relevant one-eyed character, obviously Globulus, who holds the secrets to G.I. Joe's greatest conspiracy. Maybe we'll get to that in another episode, but that was for you, Jim. <laughs> And and let's take a moment to celebrate every G.I. Joe fan that is a boy's favorite one-eyed Joe. Your dicks. That's <laughs> and a moving along. That's, a... <laughs> That's gonna kill the train of conversation right quick. Let me save it with uh, our topic for this evening, which is fan feedback. <laughs> We are going to open up Postbox The Pit, which is something I'd like to start doing more of in future episodes. In fact, if you would like to write us a love note, be warned, it might get some airplay on a future show. But kicking off our letters stack, we have a wonderful pen pal, a gentleman called Scott Santafonti, who I really enjoy communicating with every once in every while. Uh, he once sent me a G.I. Joe care package, which is one of the sweetest things that's ever uh, arrived in the mail for G.I. Joe Berg. Not and that I, it's a competition, mind you. No, 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 yeah. not at all. No, no. We uh, we love uh, and treasure all our listeners and fans, uh, regardless of whether they send us free shit. But we really like free shit. Too. We like free shit. <laughs> Bring us your ears. But buy us a beer, too. <laughs> On the back of our... Uh, What's Wrong with Hasbro podcast and our Resident Evil podcast, Scott had the following to say. 75 episodes? Congrats, my friend. That is a milestone, especially on a property that is, sadly, all but dead. Each episode has made my awful commute to work a bit better. Big thanks to all the Joe Burgers. I loved 76 as well. I'm not a Resident Evil kind of guy, but I love your alternate twist on issue 50, one of the best issues in my opinion. I guess issue 1 to 60 are all my favorite. Brilliant. Someone needs to do a mini-series on that. The what-if world of G.I. Joe. He goes on to say, The Havoc is a great toy. Yep, I said it. So no, it's not G.I. Joe to me, like lots of post-85 G.I. Joe vehicles. And I do think cross-country, having the Confederate flag, is not very American. He is my least favorite Joe by far. The vehicle itself belongs in the Clone Wars more than fighting Cobra, but take another look at it. 
The detailing and play features are great. And the torpedo transport slash hydro sled, what an efficient cool vehicle designed to sink ships, not being seen or picked up on sonar. Maybe this would be better as an underwater sled to help transport eels. Thus ends our uh, good words from Scott Sensafonsi. Quite a few talking points in that message. Does anyone want to pick up on anything they uh, just heard? I gotta say, Hydra Sled. He put the Hydra Sled in my radar. Like, I've never really loved it, but uh, just those few little words about it kind of made me go, hmm, okay, if I see one, I'm definitely gonna pick one up if I can get it for a good price. Personally, I think if it was designed as a submersible, that would be a selling point. Yeah, it's that's what he's he's yeah. he's hinting at. That is a small two or one man submersible vehicle that would sneak into uh, 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 harbors and sink ships or, or act as a sort of a, a vehicle to allow divers to get close enough to place mines. That's kind of a historical mission, isn't it? I mean, there were there were Italian um, two man subs in World War Two mm. guys sort of doing that, going through, getting past the torpedo nets. Uh, being able to get slip past uh, dock, dockyard defenses and, and carry out demolition missions. That makes a hell of a lot more sense to me. So hopefully the actual hydro sled can submerge quite neatly. Um, I don't own the toy. I don't know how submersible it actually is. But in a world where there is a hammerhead, a bug, a sea uh, ray, I think maybe the hydro sled's function would be already very neatly covered by those vehicles but yeah it certainly does give it a veneer that um mm. that its actual intended purpose uh, doesn't have because that thing cruising around the surface of the water mm, i don't know <laughs> no i mean you guys are always hating on the hydro sled it does function as kind of like if the killer whale is the the, the barge in star wars then the hydro sleds are kind of like those the circling barges so if you have like a aquatic battle scene they function like that. You can punch people off the killer whale and land onto a different platform kind of thing. I don't think... No, no, no. <laughs> it sounds like a like a 90s beat-em-up game. Yeah. Where, like, the entire environment um, kind of connects together, no matter how tenuously. So you'll go from, like, a fist fight on the deck of a ship and fall onto, a, like, a little uh, platform that's sort of skimming the waves. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, from that, like, jump off onto the docks... And then you're sort of riding on the back of a massive tank. I totally played out those play patterns. In fact, the Cobra Hammerhead was one of those vehicles where our sort of protagonist would like jump onto the back of, and it was in motion, and like the the decompression chamber would slip open, and like countless guys would just keep Double recycling dragon. out of there, <laughs> like guys to beat up and like throw <laughs> over the dragon. side into the <laughs> exactly. It is exactly that. It's Double Dragon Two. Or um, the, the, what was it? I remember playing at the arcade the, the Punisher, the Punisher oh, game. Uh, yeah, with, uh, with Nick Fury. Nick Fury yeah. <laughs> Punisher and Nick Fury, which were like just carbon copies of one another, mm. running around beating up shit and <laughs> punching people and shooting guns. I, that was my Joe play pattern for a good long while. I actually think I, I am guilty of criticizing the Hydra Sled. Uh, which is what's made this message, uh, this fan message kind of cool, because just, you know, it's it's from outside, it's from you guys, so it's cool to get that kind of feedback from you guys. Um, I don't hate the Hydra Sled, I just, uh, I don't think I've had a particular fondness for it, but I hate the Battle Barge. That's a <laughs> fucking hard sell. Well, fortunately, Scott had nothing to say on the Battle Barge, but uh, I can't imagine your opinion of it was too glowing anyway, Scotty. I do uh, like what you had to say about the Havoc. Yes, it is very yeah. Star Wars Clone Wars. <laughs> I mean, if that thing was like a hover tank, by that I mean the entire Havoc, not just the, the mini hovercraft, scoutcraft. If the whole thing was like designed to float, yes, like a, a repulsor lift craft straight out of the pages of, or straight out of the animation cells of Clone Wars. Jim Godfrey, who's another very big listener of ours and also... Uh... How do you know he's big? Well, <laughs> okay, carry well, on. We, we, uh, I am. <laughs> also, you know, he'll uh, show me stuff, uh, pictures of his customs. And recently, uh, he asked me to get involved. Well, just briefly involved with a Havoc custom that he's trying to do. Because he also likes uh, a lot of the bizarre vehicles. Actually, like myself. But he also likes the APC quality. And he would like to turn it into something a bit more than what it is. So I actually did some concept art for him for it. 
a heavily articulated vehicle ordnance carrier. Could you get a more strained and nonsensical acronym if you tried? <laughs> yeah, it's wow. It's, it's basically a shooty tank with more things pointing backwards than forwards. Um, <laughs> the dangerous things point backwards. The not so dangerous things point forward. Uh, <laughs> and the driver's flapping in the breeze. Yeah, indeed. Anyway, like heading on this vehicle is too easy. Good for you, Jim, for trying to shine a, a new light on it and, and trying to save it. I look forward to your custom with much relish. Yeah, i got to get my hands and on it. And I'm not talking eventually. about a tasty salsa. Scotty, thank you for the letter. Um, hope you don't mind it seeing the light of day on our show. <laughs> Perhaps I should ask permission first. <laughs> uh, any other matters you guys want to raise about that, or shall we uh, head on to our next bit of fan mail? Well, while we have Scott's ear, I do have something. He mentioned uh, the the Confederate flag on uh, cross country. I don't I don't see that as being a negative. I mean, it, it's definitely a hot button issue right now, um, as you know, Scott, if you're in the states. But uh, I think that GI Joe is is big enough. I can see a conversation between Big Lob and cross country, where cross country's like, you know what, man, and he he swaps his hat out. I mean, that that can be a character arc. Uh, but some people just like the rebel flag as a design aesthetic and it does, it does kind of like represent some ignorance, but it also, uh, represents heritage. I like it as a design aesthetic. It brings character to a character, you know? I, I think it's very smart of Hasbro and Marvel to sort of recognize that, I mean, America is America, you know, and Americans are Americans. There are different sort of schools of thinking, you know, you've got your... You know, Americans have your Republicans, you have your Democrats, you know, you've got, you know, you've got the type that are into the Confederate flag and the people that are not into it. But I think when you're dealing with a toy, with a toy line that is very, you know, very heavy in terms of raw, raw America, and I say that with respect, I mean, it's a, it's a very strong American sort of brand, actually, G.I. Joe. I mean, you know, I just thinking of the word G.I. Joe makes me think of America. And, um... I think it's kind of cool that they did include a character that has got a bit of a confederate sort of side to him. It's great because as a kid or as a person, you don't have to like that character. And, you know, when you've got your Joes running around and doing stuff, they don't necessarily have to like him. But maybe he's just really good at um, getting the job done. And the only character I can think of right now that sort of had a similar uh, effect on me is, and I don't love this show, by the way, but The Walking Dead. Um, he's quite a popular character now as the guy with the crossbow. When he's first introduced to us, I mean, he comes across as very, like, hillbilly in a bad way. And uh, I know a lot of people's immediate reaction or knee-jerk reaction to that, and it was designed this way, is, Oh my god, he's like such a hillbilly, and he's like, whatever, and he's a this and a that. And meanwhile, he's like the Boba Fett of the series. Everybody loves this guy. So, it's, you know, like, despite his sort of political alignments and things like that, you know, he still gets the job done, and that's a quality to like about the character, and maybe gets us to look past somebody's sort of political preferences and maybe look at them as people, which I think is kind of brave for Marvel, uh, for Marvel and Hasbro, 1980, early 90s. Well, that, that's just one more clue that there's more to G.I. Joe than what's on the surface. Oh, exactly. That's why we love this brand. It's, there's layers, man. I'm Mr. Cynic, uh, and, and my explanation, or one that I, I'm going to just find favor for now, since I'm faced with the issue of, of I suppose, being backward and being bigoted and, and dredging up the past, is maybe he's just being ironic. Maybe he's like, I, I speak with an accent, so I'm going to just like wear a, a Confederate buckle because, you know, it's a joke. I was a big fan of the Dukes of Hazard, so, you know, like I like playing my country music really loud. If anyone's got a problem with that, they can have it out with me. I don't mind. So, like, you know, cross, cross country could be this, just this practical joke. He's like, okay, big lob, you want my belt buckle? I'll give you the shirt off my back, boy. <laughs> 
so you know maybe maybe he's just being tongue in cheek, ironic about it, and like the mm. his the history of of the United States is a checkered one, like all nations' histories. Let's try and make a lot of it. Let's poke fun at it because let's face it, this death trap that I'm driving in is at least good for a laugh. Come on, yeah. <laughs> yeehaw, havoc, <laughs> yeehaw. Those are those are all solid points. Uh, that was a good note from Scott. Appreciate that, brother. Yeah. Big up, Scott. Thank you for the contribution. Who's next? Next up, we have perhaps one of the most unique listeners we uh, um, have ever had in contact with us. This is the real blind master, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Huff, who is in fact blind. And he listens to our podcast, which is high praise enough indeed. He even found it in him to reach out and contact us, which is wonderful, and gave us this fantastic note, which said, I think it would be interesting if you guys talked about personal storylines that you came up with for your G.I. Joes, or interesting coincidences that happened between your world and what came out in the G.I. Joe comics or toys. For instance, I had Storm Shadow defect to the G.I. Joe team almost as soon as I got the figure because I knew he was too cool to be a Cobra. I got in big trouble for using my dad's chrome spray paint to repaint a bunch of old vehicles that I was bored with, and the next year the Sky Patrol came out. My first custom figure was a repaint of version 1 Tripwire that I recast as a directional energy weapons expert, codename Tim Sci-Fi. Those are just some funny things that happened to me in my Joe universe that I found happened either in the comic books or in the collection later. Thank you, Christopher. I mean, the guy is prescient. Like, (laughs) I can't say any coincidences like that happened to me personally, but I definitely have some cool, uh, unique Joe stories to relate. How about you guys? What did you get out of that? Uh, I have had one or two of those moments, sort of, but nothing like... Uh, nothing as cool as what he's had I mean but I have had that moment with other media things like Mortal Kombat and gaming and uh, just the market in general but if I have to go with G.I. Joe something I sort of uh, sort of saw coming at one stage they had the whole uh, you know G.I. Joe running away from Cobra this is this is actually it's something that I've I've always enjoyed as a story idea as well that Cobra becomes the um they become large and in charge. They actually become the government, and that uh, that they are a whole conspiracy that's been very meticulous in um, sowing their sort of seeds in the government and and becoming uh, an um, you know sort of a superpower unto themselves, and 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 also being reasonably unchallenged, and uh, sort of turning the GI Joes into bad guys. That's that's something that I've always appreciated, and that was a big trend because. This was like how I, w- I was thinking about this with G.I. Joe a little bit before I got my hands on some of the toys and things like that again. And it was cool to see that. And it came in the form of uh, G.I. Joe Renegades. Uh, it came in the form of, uh, let's be fair, retaliation. And I have said this before um, in a previous episode. I like the premise of retaliation, the idea of it, because it fits it into its form. And we could follow uh, a small group of characters, a handful of characters which is why I can relate to it, because as a play pattern, I didn't have that many Joes left. I mean, any Joes. I mean, I had some Cobra, some Joes, some were spray-painted silver, some were spray-painted red, that kind of thing. So I only had a handful of Joes, so I had to make do with what I had. And I, and I don't really see it as like some, some kind of prophetic vision, per se. I see it more as a logical progression of the brand. You know, the military are turning into the bad guys in, in real life. Well... They're being condemned, obviously, by people because sons and daughters and fathers and uncles are having to be shipped over to ungodly places to go and fight and secure the peace, etc., etc. So people are not happy with the military, actually, um, which is kind of, well, which is where we are now. So I could, I, 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 it made logical sense to have G.I. Joe turn into the bad guys, in a sense, than them being the good guys. And lo and behold, that became kind of a, a, a trend amongst G.I. Joe as we went forward. Which I liked. I thought that was very cool. Another thing I, I loved, actually, as a, as a G.I. Joe story for myself, I have this little thing that I've got going at the moment where I've got a bat that is actually... It's an average bat, and what's happened is there's a 
a scientist that's actually been kidnapped and he's designed some kind of super AI and blah blah blah. This is very cliche, okay? Anyway, he's managed to download his consciousness into a chip and that chip, you know, he had that installed into a bat, you know, posthumously and now he's that bat and he's got a whole bunch of Cobra secrets and he's trying to get to G.I. Joe and obviously Cobra's going after him now to try and stop him and G.I. Joe is trying to obviously secure him but at the in the beginning they think he's a bad guy and blah blah blah. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that pop up soon, especially with the sort of merging of Transformers and G.I. Joe. So that's that's a prediction. That, that's not cliche, brother. That's topical. Yeah, so there's some cool stuff there. Um, I, I really enjoyed hearing uh, that he had these really cool prophetic things. I mean, spraying your vehicle silver, I mean, you have big cojones for doing that in the first place. But then again, didn't we all spray paint Joes? I mean... I've got red and silver G.I. Joes, people. Oh, <laughs> I have done some regrettable things to my G.I. Joes as well, and I'm I'm pretty conservative. Like, I never strapped uh, Tom Thumbs or Firecrackers oh, no. to my, my action figures, but yeah, that. Uh, plenty of, like, really, really botchy custom jobs, which, fortunately, I've been able to correct uh, later on, and so have you, Paul. Yeah. But, uh, Cooge, anything stand out in Mr. Huff's um, uh, message? I mean, apart from the fact that he managed to predict some some pretty you know important and pivotal moments in both the comic book and the toy line. Uh, cheers on the the bad paint jobs, by the way. Good lord, I had some debacles back in the day. I, I would say that like as far as like you chatting up the military industrial complex scene, um, you know what I read just the other day that for the first time the state uh, employs more people than private industry. In the United States, you know where most of those jobs are, the DOD, brother. So, yeah, it's a, it's a little prophetic at this point. If anybody's bored, hit up YouTube, listen to uh, President Eisenhower's last speech. Uh, it's kind of harrowing at this point. Um, enough of that. I did paint my Joes a little bit. I, I had some glow-in-the-dark paint. I was always playing at night, so I did accent some people. It worked out okay. A couple of them got a little... Uh, garish but it worked out what you were actually on purpose making garish paint jobs did the 90s not uh not really land with you man no i wasn't a good painter brother I- i'm not a good painter um so like when i tried to do like detail work it turned out all hideous and stuff what i want to speak about i mean it, you can always count on me to try and work in nostalgia and personal stories of of, of joe plot lines that i used to play out one that I'm hoping I can collaborate with Rob on a future podcast and actually make a dedicated podcast in the memory of. It was my sort of major non-G.I. Joe, but G.I. Joe plot thread. I might have mentioned it before, but we gave it a generic name of Shifters because our three protagonists, our three, I suppose, avatars for ourselves, really, were interdimensional beings who could travel between dimensions and different worlds and planets, basically trying to put right events that would otherwise uh, create a disaster within the multiverse. But the way this started out was something that Paul was actually uh, well on the way to discussing himself, which was what if, just like Worlds Without End the uh, classic cartoon episode, Cobra was on top. Cobra had taken over the United States and were now running this sort of fascist dictatorship. G.I. Joe had been driven underground as some kind of resistance movement uh, and were trying desperately to overthrow major Cobra leadership, just like, I suppose, the French resistance in France during World War II. Mm. So our three protagonists are actually investigators on the side of Cobra, within the employ of Cobra, who are busy tracking down the last vestiges of G.I. Joe's resistance structure. That's very cool. They get swept up in the story that that the Joes that they capture then tell. Finger quotes the story. <laughs> well, as they're about to line the Joes up on a wall to you know have them <laughs> shot, the Joes managed to, well, try and take them in with this story of how the entire North American continent has been brainwashed by Cobra, sort of a mass brainwave scanner, 
brainwashing. Cool. To rewrite history and basically make North America a isolationist Great again. colony separate from the rest of the world, a sort of a military industrial complex, as you say, mm. that is almost a walled city against all outside influence. And it is under the strict supervision and control, mind control, if you were, <laughs> you of Cobra. I, I'm not getting drug into this. I, I can see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, cool the long is- and short of it, guys, is these three characters that me and Alistair and, and Rob played as then woke up in a kind of a matrix moment. They woke up. And the way this happened was they died. The sort of latent super superhuman powers were starting to manifest in them, and they knew they they weren't quite normal, as they were sort of being won over by the GI Joe's plotline, and then working with them to try and overthrow Cobra. In the last battle on Cobra Island, uh, the the underground structure that they're in starts caving in, and everyone dies except these guys don't. They're latent ability to shift through realities kicks in and they wake up in this sort of like control nexus where their handler who had been deactivated for years kind of stumbles on them like what the fuck you guys are back okay we're back in business fantastic let's save the multiverse Mm. anyway (laughs) that was the setup for this massive plot line that that spanned multiple genres from sci-fi to prehistoric to like you had dinosaurs we had dinosaurs we had space battles we had uh popular scenes from movies being replayed so there was this sort of vampire world where (laughs) we we actually invested in a strobe light so we could play out like the opening sequence from blade (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it turns out the sort of the vampire king who ruled this world was also a shifter. So he becomes like a, 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 a reality hopping fugitive, like a recurring antagonist for our three guys. And our guys have fallings out. There is a woman intrigue at some stage. Like I say, this story needs to be unearthed when it can it have totally a devoted does. when it can have a devoted episode and I can have Rob and maybe even Alistair, our erstwhile friend from back then on the show to help me talk about it. Because <laughs> it sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> My other fantastical plot line, which actually, because of the whole multiverse event, threaded in with the shifters, was a game called Renegades. Now, this is also, I mean, I suppose it's prophetic. This is long before G.I. Joe Renegades was a thing. But these guys were mercenaries in the future, not too distant future, but they had this beat-up hovercraft, which was the Ice Saber, Cobra Ice Saber, with its um, skis broken off. So it was an aircraft with those cool rotating guns. You know, the gunner station, like, you know, they become like anti-aircraft guns as a result. But this was played like an aircraft. The leader of the Renegades was Scarface, played by Cesspool, that action figure. (laughs) Sci-fi slash, you know, really cool, like, haggard, very uh, character-looking face sculpt. Uh, I had a love affair with Cable, so this was my Cable stand-in long before there were three three-quarter-inch uh, Marvel figures available. Hallelujah. And his main henchman and co-star on my team of Renegades was Overkill. <laughs> I developed such a love for this character. Uh, he was a grapple-hook, bionic commando, super-jumping, cyber-ninja robot. I mean, he was just... The man. <laughs> if, if the team were in a situation and they needed their asses saved, Overkill would just step off the, the running boards of the Ice Saber and just like fall right through the roof and lay waste to everybody <laughs> with the removable hand shooting off and strangling motherfuckers, <laughs> flamethrower jets blasting, <laughs> blasting out of his uh, upper thigh flame projector. Yeah. That's where it's located. You know this. <laughs> and of course, the pop-open chests and you know, drilling people with those mini machine guns. This was a very cool uh, and very like mercenary type uh, uh, play pattern because they weren't doing it for a nation. They were doing it for money. And I must say, as a young teen, that motivation 
was something I could understand and relate to. Mm. All of a sudden, G.I. Joe's notions of like, like, like defending freedom, like I didn't have any handle on that stuff. I didn't understand why, why did Cobra do what they did? Why did G.I. Joe do what they did? So Renegades was indicative of, of my shifting attitudes. Anyway, those were two fantastical uh, personal stories from my G.I. Joe toy uh, history, I suppose. That's very cool. I really <laughs> like that shifters thing. You want to round us out, Cooch? What have you got, buddy? I, have, I had a bunch of like ordinary scenarios. I mean, I don't remember. Everything that you guys brought up is the reason why like uh gi joe is kind of like uh what's what's the proper term evergreen like it's not going to go out of style because it's it's what our nation is there's everybody in there is a person so i mean it's it's a relevant property there's storylines that you can pull from anywhere that's the cool thing i mean i've read stories of of guys that you know love xyz joe because that gi joe is from their hometown and 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 in their minds that gi joe was the leader of the gi joes you know, even if it was Cutter. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, when I was a kid, Stalker was the leader of the G.I. Joes for me. I always felt that, like, Stalker was just really badass. I just felt that, like, shit. But specifically, the, um, the, the Toki, uh, uh, Stalker. I always felt like he was just the dude. He, and then when he was, like, What's bon- Let's party. <laughs> <laughs> and then um when he was in the video game and he was like telling you what your mission was i was like okay well you know he's bossing hawk around so he must be the leader now you know things like that it's just it's just funny how your brain like as a kid like how you sort of cook up certain things and, and make them work and and i think um i think hasbro at least in the 80s and uh, had their finger on the pulse with gi joe quite a lot in the sense that they knew their market so I think a lot of people have stories where they predicted, and, and please, I'm not trying to take away any um, sort of uniqueness from your tale here, spraying vehicle silver and then them coming out later on as the Sky Patrol and some of the other ideas that you put through. I mean, that's, that is unique, but I think in some ways everybody with, with any fandom has had some kind of prophetic thing because especially that if the fandom is strong and the products handlers or the brand handlers are very strong, they really know what their fans want. They really know what their people enjoy. And, and that's why for G.I. Joe, we got what we got. But later on in the G.I. Joe comics, you know, people really started resonating with the ninja thing. And for better or worse, the ninjas became very popular in the comics. And they're not terrible uh, issues. Uh, the first ones are some of the finest writing in comic, in my opinion. That's um, the earliest stuff when... Satan's trying to find redemption and etc. etc. But what I'm what I'm just getting at is is that you know Hasbro knew who who their fans were. Now now it's different. You know now IDW is kind of in charge of that, and I think that IDW is doing a very good job, or at least they were. I'm not so sure what's happening with Revolution, so I can't really 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 speak of that. I was too young to have watched Storm Shadow's defection from Cobra in real time as it was unfolding. What I want to know is, how many folks out there saw that one coming? Chris did, and if he did, I'm hazarding a guess that other people did as well. Because Storm Shadow had an inherent nobility that set him apart from the rest of the Cobra leadership in both cartoon and comic book form. Kujo, as uh, our brother from North America, and perhaps uh, being a little bit more vintage than (laughs) than the both of us, (laughs) Did you see it coming, man? Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't name numbers, bro. We're not I saying didn't... he's old. We're just saying he's collectible. Oh no, I I didn't see it coming because my mind didn't work like that at the time. I love GI Joe. It, it, one of the reasons is is the balance of, of talent on both sides of the ball or, or both sides of the conflict. I mean, they got cool guys on both sides. I mean, if you remember the the Star Wars toy line, the good guys didn't have a whole lot of guys that you wanted to hold. You 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 were all over the stormtroopers and whatnot. So no, I, I like I like Storm Shadow as a bad guy just because you you need a you need a checkmate for Snake Eyes. You can't have both those guys on the same team. That's that's imbalanced. But I mean, if they really wanted each other dead, they would have both been dead a long time ago. Mm. I think that's that that became very evident in in certainly Larry Hammer's uh, scripting 
when they sort of face off. It's like, initially, it's because Snake Eyes just wants to rescue Scarlet, and Storm Shadow wants to, obviously, keep the prisoner. Snake Eyes has bigger fish to fry. He needs to escape quickly. He can't let it boil down to conflict. But when they meet up again, I think it's in San Francisco, or maybe it's in L.A., uh, Comidas Chinas, the Softmasters restaurant, their fight unfolds throughout the streets of of the city. There's a kind of a, an acceptance that they are both going to die. Like, if they keep this up, that is the only logical end to this conflict. But it's the, it's the, the sort of the epiphany that comes to Storm Shadow in, in that moment, which makes him throw his knife away when he realizes, hold on, <laughs> you, you now know that I didn't kill the Hardmaster. Mm. So, um, I have no, I have no quarrel with you anymore. Kill me if you really do think, st- still think me guilty. So, I mean, anyways, their, their, their conflict doesn't have a heart. It doesn't have a reason because Storm Shadow isn't evil. He didn't murder his uncle. Something that also smacks off Storm Shadow's sort of uh, good nature is when he stops uh, Billy from committing patricide. Uh, him and Destro actually both work sort of together to stop Billy from assassinating Cobra Commander. And his whole reason for that is obviously because uh, the loss of his uncle is, is quite a big thing for, for Tommy Arashikage. And it's, and it's also an honor thing. Like, you know, killing your dad is just not cool. And I, I really like that. That was, that was for me, that was like the first hint of that. But I mean, I only got to really appreciate that later as an adult because I didn't get to read those issues when I was younger. Someone as enlightened as Storm Shadow can't wallow with uh, the pigs. <laughs> I, I must admit, like... When I because I mean I was always playing with Storm Shadow as a kid. It was always it always ended up being sort of my toy. I I couldn't reconcile the idea of him being a bad guy. It was just a weird thing for me. And when I read the GI Joe comic books for the first time from issue one upwards, I always thought, oh, okay, maybe he's like a double agent or maybe there's some other agenda. And and if you look at it that way, you'll see that there's a lot of stuff that it, it's kind of almost written that way. Not not that I'm saying he is. But you do get the feeling that he isn't, like, he's not drinking the Kool-Aid. He's not drinking Cobra's Kool-Aid, mm. you know? But, Kujo, getting back to what you were saying, man, I, I, th- I think there is definitely a purity to your view, the balancing of good and evil. Mm. And that's something that they did in Resolute. They made Storm Shadow legitimately evil. Yeah. And I know you opposed that view. So, like, all of a sudden, eh, I sense a contradiction, pal. Well, you you like more dimension to Storm Shadow, and yet when you give him all those dimensions, he stops being inherently evil, and he's more of a a conflicted character, a troubled character, sort of a gray area character who had to walk the the Cobra path, who had to walk the dark path, who had to do unspeakable things to get his results. As the shadows get longer in life, dude, if you've been carrying something, like if you've been carrying hate or a grudge, you're, you're very reluctant to let that go because it's your identity. Maybe Storm Shadow is that guy. Uh, you know, he, there's just too much deep embedded shame. He's put a sword through too many people. I, I kind of always saw him as just a hell of a guard dog for Cobra Commander. Like, yeah, you can blow through a bunch of Vipers, but as soon as you step into Cobra Commander, you know, you, you have to face Storm Shadow. You don't see it coming. One and it's kind of ironic that Storm Shadow is perhaps the most loyal of Cobra Commander's inner circle because Storm Shadow is not that kind of bad. He's not wicked like the rest of them. And it's it's odd in that, although I don't think Cobra Commander trusts anybody, but I think if you had to put him down, you know, if, if, like dead to rights or whatever, you would probably trust Storm Shadow the most because Storm Shadow is very honor-bound. He's got a very sort of clear-cut sense of honor, which, like you just said now, um, can become a trap, especially as you get older, because, you know, if you're holding a grudge, and within sort of Japanese culture, you know, uh, having a grudge is, well, I mean, we've seen horror movies based on the personification of a grudge, you know, being quite, you know, physically, you know, dangerous to, to a human being, but but just if you look at how Japanese honor systems work, um, and and then once again, when you have something like a grudge or a feud, how ingrained it is into your sort of personality and into your culture, 
in, into the, your personal culture, your personal sort of family situation. It's, it's interesting, you know, like you have a lot of these great virtues that are sort of the trap for very bad virtues, you know, like revenge. You can be dutifully honor bound to do some to do amazing things. You can be extremely patient, extremely humble, and all this great stuff. But in your heart, you wish for revenge because you wish to kill this person who who has done you wrong. Or in the case of renegades, you know, because you're jealous, but you'll still do it with a sort of sense of honor. Then you'll go and work for the worst. Resolute, buddy. Yeah, resolute. Sorry. <laughs> then you'll go and work for the worst of the worst, and then you'll still be appreciated for the fact that you're not a sniveling butthole <laughs> you know uh, storm shadow is cool for that and larry homer is cool for that because storm shadow and snake eyes are very much extensions of larry homer uh, a, a lot of larry homer's sort of i think qualities at the time when he was writing i think he really loved those two characters i don't know how much he loves them now i think he he's sort of whitewashed by them you know, everybody's like, oh, I love Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. He's like, yeah, yeah, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, let me sign. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he's that jaded. I'm just saying I'm sure after a few years you get a bit... Gents, I think we've run out of time, to be perfectly honest. Uh, there was a third love letter, but we'll have to wait for next episode. Does anyone have anything they'd like to close on? I'll break off a couple things quick. Uh, I did kind of happen into... Uh... The new car- the new figure sets. I really dig uh, Shooter. That's a nice sculpt. The character's great. The weapons load out. It's all it's all good. The only other character I'll mention out of that is the Cobra female officer. And and if you're listening out there, I got a great idea for like a convention pack. Bring her out again in Cobra Commander Baby Blue uh, instead of that dark blue you got her in now. Put a couple of her with uh, Cobra Commander who's in his uh, politician suit from from the comic book convention set uh, that's a win that's who that officer should be is uh the cobra commander front squad everybody knows it uh just get her in baby blue <laughs> and that's a perfect thing joy division <laughs> oh and, get, and take that backpack off her who put that on her that thing's massive come on guys uh, I, if i if i had to release a, a figure set that involved a female cobra officer i'd have to base it on the one of the episodes of the tv series where uh jeez oh, no De- pants <laughs> destro's finagling one of them and oh that she's... one yeah well that's i'm gonna get to the other one but Des- destro's sort of finagling one of them and he's like they're getting like down and dirty and baroness sort of catches them and uh she's very jealous <laughs> i'd love to have that three pack um because it'll give them a-, a the opportunity to really re-release that awesome destro and hopefully um with uh more correct biceps this time um, second time's a charm, possibly, <laughs> and maybe slightly stronger plastic, and also once again gives us another opportunity to get our hands on that Cobra female officer and fuck it, give us two, and um, maybe you know maybe an opportunity to give us a, a I want to say a modernized Baroness, uh, rather the original vintage sculpt, just maybe with some modern sensibilities uh, in terms of a design. You know, please reference the awesome convention Saranda figure you guys did. Speaking to you, Hasbro. I'd love to see that set or the Worlds Without End uh, three-pack mm. where uh, you have them sexy female Cobra officers and Baroness. So those are the ones with like the miniskirt kind of situation. They haven't got really much much in the way of pants. I like those. I'm a fan. The last bit, I, I just wanted to mention two other guys that I, I chat with uh, from the show on the regular. Me and Cabal uh, chatted election night, uh, watched oh, Dave Cabal, yeah. the Trump victory play out. We talked life. He's also a man of faith, so we talked a little bit of that. Um, cheers, brother. And uh, last but not least, I want to mention uh, Skinny Joe Fan on Twitter. He, he's a great retweeter if, if you're looking for good Joe content. I think he, he works for uh, Yo Joe. So cheers, gents. Keep up the good work. And I'm going to give him an animal companion right quick because that's how I do. He gets a, a greyhound. Skinny Joe Fan. Your animal companion is now a greyhound. Um, and we can chat that up later <laughs> if you like. Yeah. I'm going to shout out to When It Was Cool on Twitter. You guys voted us Podcast of the Week. That's a pretty fun little accolade. Thanks for the write-up. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, sharing us to, to your followers. I mean, it is wonderful when a community... Shows love like that. So have some back in your corner. You guys are terrific. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Cheers.
when we started this uh, humble little podcast, Steve and I never imagined that we would um, have letters and feedback from fans and hear from people. Although one of the primary mission objectives of this podcast was to not only have a forum for us to speak on, but also to have a forum to connect to other G.I. Joe fans and hopefully, you know, find others like ourselves in South Africa. And then it turns out that we've just met some of the best of the best of the best, sir, uh, from many, you know, interesting countries around the world. And then we went on to start the YouTube channel. And we also thought, hey, fuck, this is a cool way to take photos of our toys and our collections. And, you know, let's really get our word on a review out there because we felt that our voice was missing. Arrogant? Yes, maybe, possibly. But uh, there were things that were being said about the toy and there were things that weren't being said about some of these toys and we felt we needed to say them. And we did. And it turns out you love us for saying them too. So we love you for following us. Uh, and we, we really love our fans. I mean, uh, you guys are really great. I love the fact that uh, it, a day doesn't go by where I get a beep on my phone from either Jim Godfrey or we get something from Scott Sinderfonte or... Dave Cabal will post something or like something that we've shared on the Facebook page or on Instagram or whatever. And, you know, and that's just to name a few because we don't just have a few fans. We seem to have a legion. So you guys are like 10 now. <laughs> there's 10 of you now. But uh, actually, no, that's a joke. There's, there's quite a few more of you. And some of those, I, I, I mean, I've recently gone through a breakup and it's been kind of a depressing time in my life. And, uh, you know, it's not many people that can say this, but I've gone into our YouTube to try and, you know, distract myself, keep myself busy and whatever, to get into reply to people's comments. And, wow, dudes, I, we feel the love. Uh, I actually came out of that going, holy shit, my life is not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> I mean, who goes to YouTube to read the comments to feel better, right? I mean, that's something I consider a personal victory for us as a, as a team. So, yeah, we love you guys. We love hearing from you. Uh, one of our fans is, is even on this podcast uh, looking at you, Kujo. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan, and, uh, yeah, I'm a friend. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an ally. Yeah, you're an ally. You're, you're not just a, a fan. And, and that's, once again, that's to take it further as well. We don't really view our... And fans is such a, a puerile word for this, but actually we do see you guys as allies, as, as friends of, of, of the brand and... And I think if we ever get the opportunity to get to a convention and we get to meet you guys, I think that'll be one of the coolest days for us here at G.I. Joburg to actually meet some of you folk in person because I'm pretty sure we'd, we'd get on really fine. And with that, it's a wrap on episode 77. Rob, get the hell back in. And happy Thanksgiving, if that's your thing. Uh, hope you enjoy the festivities. Uh, don't get too stuffed because remember, you got to make it out early to catch Black Friday. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And if you happen to be a friend or a subscriber of Hooded Cobra Commander 788, check out his channel. You might catch uh, a little bit of G.I. Joburg action there. Hmm. <laughs> this has been episode 77 of G.I. Joburg. Thanks for joining us. Remember, write us. And you too might be featured on a future podcast. Good night. And happy, happy birthday, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs>